Hello there, everybody. It's me, Gary Kidney, the co-host of You've Got to Be Kidding Me on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And I am Liam Jones, my full name, and I am also a part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network as a co-host, but you've got to be kidding me. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. We cover all the drama, all the matches, all the Vince Russo nonsense you could ever want in your life. Have you you heard of TNA? I bet you have. But would it be funnier if two people made jokes over it the whole time? Probably. So if that sounds like fun to you, check it out on this very Voices of Wrestling podcasting network, and Liam will do bits and whatnot. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hey, kids, do you like professional wrestling? Well, we like professional wrestling, too. This is Shake Them Ropes. I'm Jeff Hawkins. He is Chris Novembrino. I have just uh, relayed to Chris my uh, sports ball tragedy. Yes, Virginia lost. Please get out of my DMs mocking me. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Go ahead, Chris. Sorry, I, I didn't say I wasn't about to say anything. No, it sounded like you're you're taking a breath to get ready to go. Um, no, 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 no. I'm 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 just happy to be here. Yeah, Jeff. Every day is uh, every day with you is a day with wow. sunshine. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, Chris and I are both music geeks, so uh, I am going to uh, talk about this. Attention must be paid. Jim Gordon. One of the most fascinating figures, and and not fascinating necessarily in a good way, in some ways. Uh, uh, one of the most fascinating drummers in rock history, passing away at the age of seventy-one, I believe it was. It was either seventy-one or seventy-seven. Jim Gordon. Uh, I asked Chris if the names sounded familiar. No, I didn't. I asked Jeff Gaylord. Uh, is Jim Gordon a familiar name to you? Other than the commissioner for Batman, no. <laughs> and everybody thinks that no. Uh Jim Gordon was a jazz drummer uh in his teens who got who got discovered by a member of the wrecking crew and um and and then went on to play on a lot of the great classic rock hits of the sixties and seventies. He was a member of Traffic for a while. He he co-wrote uh, Rock and Roll Stew. Uh his possibly most famous uh contribution is he is credited with writing the piano coda to Layla. Okay, um, okay, but that but that's also kind of a lift from another song. Too. Uh, well, the story is that he stole it from his uh, ex girlfriend Rita Coolidge, um, who he famously punched in a hallway during the Mad Dogs and Englishmen tour when he was touring with uh, Joe Cocker, and he was he was part of the uh, he was part of uh, 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 the Shelter People. Um, I forget the name of the, the the piano player for them, but um, it's on the tip of my tongue, and I have one of his albums. I can't think of it right now. Leon Russell, he was part of Leon Russell and the Shelter People. He played. Uh, he also played with uh, Steely Dan on uh, the Rick, on Ricky Don't Lose That Number for uh, Pretzel Logic. He played on uh, Pet Sounds, um, and and a bunch more. And then uh, in 1983, uh, bludgeoned his mother to death with a hammer because he went schizophrenic due to all his drug use he had been doing as a teen and in his 20s. Um, he he is a fascinating character because he also uh, rejected any attempts to parole himself. Uh, he said, "Nope, I'm staying in this mental hospital forever," and 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 did pass away there. Never gave many interviews. He gave one, but he wouldn't talk about really anything um part of delaney and bramlett part of eric clapton's crew he played in the background or he was part of the session band for all things must pass the george harrison album he is on like everything because he he would like come in and do like three or four sessions a day and then fly out to vegas to do uh, a residency at Caesar's Palace with, I forget what band he was with there, but I mean, he was just all over the place and he would keep his energy up by doing like copious amount of drugs, which then made him schizophrenic. But yeah, no, the story about Layla was that uh, he was dating Rhea Coolidge and she played this song called Time or something like that for him. 
and then he lifted that and 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 uh and put it on the end of Layla and got credit for it. Yeah, that that I I <laughs> I've definitely heard the Rita Coolidge part of this, like that, like basically, like that was just like more or less a lift. Yeah. So and, um, it, may, and it makes sense because it really does sort of come out of nowhere in the song too. Um, like I loved his drumming though. His drumming on uh, especially the uh, Mad Dogs and Englishmen uh sessions for for Joe Cocker. I mean, he's just he's just a badass. Uh but he was also a terrible, terrible human being. So <laughs> if you want to read about one of the more fascinating people in classic rock history, Jim Gordon is it. He is dead. Um, also, just starting off the news, Jeff Gaylord passed away. Uh, Jeff Gaylord is interesting in my fandom, Chris, because he 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 was uh he started in the mid-80s and went to about the early 90s. He was in world class, he was in UWF. As a job guy, he the won. The name rings a bell, but I guess here's why. Here's why it might ring a bell. Um, the 1993 Survivor Series, the one that originally had Jerry Lawler and his knights. He was the Black Knight. Okay. Yep. Uh, that that Survivor Series. Oh, let's talk fascinating, but not necessarily in a positive way. Jerry Lawler indicted, or at least accused. I can't remember if it was indicted or accused of uh raping and sodomizing a girl who was between the ages of 13 and 15 oh. and also witness intimidation charges later dropped i believe uh but yeah and sean michaels took his place and so it was sean michaels and the knights and the knights were barry horowitz greg valentine and jeff gaylord jeff gaylord was a former university of missouri football player uh, and he was big in world class. He, that's where he got his push. He he had minor push in, in the USWA as a tag champ with Jeff Jarrett, who we'll talk about later. Definitely. Um, he, he, he had his, uh, place in world class. And I just remember he had the worst match I think I've ever seen in that company. I can't remember if it's that company or if it's another one might've been the old, uh, uh, American Wrestling Federation, but he was because he was a he was a number one big steroid guy, number two ex football player. So they did a, uh, a a match without ropes, where he dressed in football pads. It was kind of like a sumo match where he had to knock a guy off the platform in order to win. Just the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Uh, let, let me tell you about the uh, mental capacity of one Jeff Gaylord. And I hate to speak ill of the dead, but he is somebody who probably should be spoken ill of. Uh, after his wrestling career, he started robbing banks. And he How robbed the go for him though. It didn't go well because you know what else he did? He robbed the same bank twice. Oh, that's so dumb because <laughs> like of course, of course, banks are where all the money is. Banks is are like, where the money is, but if you but, are but six if you foot already five robbed on steroids, it, you robbed yeah. once, there's no money left. Well, not just that. You tend to uh you tend to be not nondescript at six foot seven, <laughs> 285 pounds or whatever he was. It's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's Jeff Gaylord. He's a former football player that lives in town. I, I mean, there's only so many people who are six foot seven, you know? Oh, but he, I mean, he got chances everywhere. He got chances in the UWF for a while uh, at the end of that Bill Watts run. Uh, I can't remember if he teamed with Sting or if he was on the other side of a match with Sting, but you'd think he was going to be a guy, and then he just didn't really have a lot of... Uh, he, he had two left feet, which is part of the problem. I mean, you watch that 93 Survivor Series, and... Uh, is he one of these guys who can't, like, run off the ropes? Yes. Yep, yep, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, there were a lot, a lot of those guys from that era. They just had, like, no mobility like that, and you'd see it any time they take an Irish whip. Right, and he, he was robbing banks for his drug habit, mostly. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the less said about Jeff Gaylor, the better, but I thought, you know. Yeah, no, it, it's a shame. A lot of people used to rob banks for the passion and the, <laughs> the, art, the art of it. Where, where's the art anymore? Yeah, now right, it's all about no, the, the art, Yeah, the art value is completely <laughs> gone from bank robbery. You know, Thomas Crown, he he did robberies for the art of it. And that's yeah. <laughs> and these these bank robbers today, they're just in it for the money. Yeah, they're just trying to do it for money and drugs. <laughs> it's sad. Uh AEW uh announced this week that they are going to be doing a five-week excursion in Canada, starting with the June 25th 
pay-per-view at Scotiabank Center in Toronto, Forbidden Door 2, which I would assume is another pay-per-view crossover with New Japan. After that, they'll be doing Dynamite and Rampage from Hamilton, Ontario, Dynamite and Rampage from Edmonton, uh, Dynamite from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Rampage from Regina, Saskatchewan, and then a house show, AEW House Rules, live at Saddledome as part of Canada's iconic annual cultural event, Calgary Stampede in Calgary, dramatic pause, Alberta, Canada. Uh, those tickets go on sale on, actually, for the Calgary show, Friday, March 17th. So, after watching that Winnipeg show, and I thought the Winnipeg crowd was hot, and they were... Um, for lack of a better term, I thought that the Winnipeg crowd really wanted to show AEW that they were a lively crowd. So they were up all all night for for that dynamite. They're going to uh they're gonna run Canada quite a lot, kind of like they've been doing with Texas and Florida in the past, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad strategy. I, I think, you know, especially as you're launching new angles, starting in a place where you know you're going to get good crowd response gives those angles the best chance to succeed longer term five weeks seems a bit excessive it does yeah that that's the part that like sort of makes me go i don't know about that like three seems like a magic number for something like this (laughs) nice schoolhouse rock reference i'm like that yeah i did yeah uh Updating a report from Monday, Dave Meltzer believes the final numbers for the AEW Revolution pay-per-view will be in the range of the low to mid 130,000s as, quote-unquote, late buys were strong. It's not bad. That's not not bad. I mean, look, uh, getting... I mean, their weekly Rampage audience is around, like, 900,000, 950,000. So, like, 130,000 is not terrible in terms of conversion rate. Yeah, uh, and that's the news I have because I don't have a lot on ratings. Uh, it looked like Raw was in the 1.7 million range. Uh, SmackDown did another strong number again. I don't have the numbers for Dynamite yet, but, uh, you know, some some weeks are light news, Chris. So we'll close up the mailbag, or <laughs> the mailbag, the news desk, and get to the lazy river of wrestling criticism, whatever we watched, whatever crosses our mind, whatever just, you know, past, present, future wrestling. We'll talk about here, Chris. I will let you start this week. Man, it is kind of like a kind of a weird week, I guess. Okay, we'll start with the uh, four pillar segment on Dynamite here. Yes, the rebar mitzvah. Real opportunity missed to not have lots of rebar surrounding the ring on all sides, like as in the reinforcement bars. Um, but uh, beyond that, I liked when the four pillars came out and. Thought in particular, Sammy Guevara was really strong. Like out of, out of everyone, if anyone, if anything, Sammy Guevara sort of like outshined the two baby faces on the mic. Mm-hmm. Um, and once again, made me go like, how did we miss so badly with turning Sammy Guevara baby face this first time around? Like it, 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 it seems like it should have went better for him than it ended up going. Uh, I liked the segment uh, on the whole, except for the fact that, once again, no one is bringing attention to the fact that MJF had to cheat to win that match. There should have been three guys basically calling him out. That, like, you, you're you sitting here, you know, you know, giving yourself all these kudos for you know, that tremendous title defense, but you had to cheat to win it, Max. Um, I'm going to push back a little bit here, not on that point, but I was highly critical of this last night on my show. Okay. Uh, Hit me. Show. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, I will agree. I liked the pillars, um, the, the concept of the pillars. And I did like Sammy. I thought Sammy did the best of everybody. Um, I'm going to say, I thought Darby Allen had great delivery. My problem was and this is even before Dave gave his take and uh there's there's recordings to prove it patreon.com slash fight game media I hated the fourth wall breaking I hated the meta commentary from all these guys this wasn't in character this was talking about things that were outside of character which I didn't like I didn't like you know oh I had to be on rampage and dark 
after my my title match, just absolutely burying that. I, I hated bringing up that Sammy gets in fights backstage with certain talents. I I didn't like Darby bringing up the whining from from other wrestlers on Twitter. I I just it, it felt. You know what the biggest petty. problem with all that stuff is with me too. Okay. Is that every time you're talking about that, every second devoted to this fourth wall breakery is a way to avoid doing the harder and more important work of connecting this into your kayfabe universe. Yes. And and, and that's my point. Yeah, they, is, is... Those three guys should have been out there basically saying, you think you're this living legend, Max, but like you haven't actually proven anything to this point. Yeah, or even making their case to be a pillar of this company. Or, you know, oh, the other the part of Sammy that was weak was the uh, I was put in the JAS to be Chris Jericho's bump guy and to, t- and to do all the jobs. That was so weird. No, I, okay. You're definitely talking me back into the room with all of that stuff. Like, the, there was a ton of this meta crap. It wasn't, now that I'm like thinking, it's not like any one item, right? But. And it's not just that segment because the outcast did it later that night. And it's a way of avoiding making a real kayfabe universe. That's like, that's my biggest grievance beyond the fact that like Sammy Guevara, the wrestling character saying I'm Chris Jericho's bump guy makes literally no sense for that character. What is a bump guy? Yes. In the wrestling world. Exactly. Like, like, like in the kayfabe universe, that makes that it's, I know what a bump guy is. It's like, message board Tony, yeah, being message board Tony here, and and yeah, it's it's oh everybody really knows that this is fake, and everybody is really interested in the backstage gossip of all these shows, and I'm here to tell you that's not necessarily true. If you're listening I to this lose podcast, myself you're in the universe. Yeah, if bit. you're if you're listening to this podcast, you're interested in that kind of stuff. But really, when you watch the television, exactly, Chris, you want to get lost in the universe and the characters, and you wouldn't have, you know, any other TV show where they, well, actually, there might be a couple of examples I don't want to get jumped on of, of people just breaking that wall going, you know, you're a lousy actor. Oh, it would be so <laughs> weird, though, like, you're watching, like, the new episode of Star Trek, and someone's like, you know, you're going to be written off at the end of the season. <laughs> Like, you know why? Because of your attitude problems. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. You don't really mesh well with the rest of the cast. You know, You'll holding up the off. producers for money isn't a smart move, <laughs> Lieutenant Uhura. I'm I'm sorry, Jordy. <laughs> that your uh, reading rainbow obligations are are cutting into your yeah, ability well, to make all right. set. Worf, there are other Klingons in this universe. <laughs> I can find someone else to be chief security officer. You see what we did to Tasha Yar? <laughs> You're next. Did it to Crusher for a season two. <laughs> She's no longer in the territory. <laughs> now I want that show. <laughs> I, I, but like... If you think about wrestling as a television show, this is when these moments become really obvious. If you think about wrestling as a unique form of art unto itself that is akin to nothing before or after it, then this might be okay to you. Yeah, and and I think that there's there's a certain segment of smarky fan that loves this stuff and thinks no, it's cool. No, and, and I, 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 being, you know, sort of derisive in my tone, but I legitimately believe that there is, like, a certain subset of fan who really does view wrestling as this, like, art form on an island. It's not anything like theater. It's not anything like television. It's somewhat like stunt work, but also different, and therefore grading it by any of those metrics isn't quite right. Even grading it like a combat sport's not quite right. Like right. it's at once none of those things, and thus it's like this unique animal. And I, I don't view it that way. I, I view it as essentially a television show about a sports league with, you know, scripted outcomes. And for, for me, at least um, I'll, I'll give some, I'll give one good thing and one, one other negative thing about this segment, the good Look, I dug the respect for uh, for Judaism here. I did, <laughs> you know, 
they they treated it with reverence. They didn't treat it. Uh, they didn't treat it. Um, you know, they're they're you know. Interesting. I it, got, I went the a, other way. I was like, are they making Judaism heal, especially with MJF's like, we're the best religion comment. Well, I mean, that comment was heelish, but at the same time, I mean, we live in a world where where you know some characters are Satanists. <laughs> you know, why not have some people who who do Judaism and 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 feel strongly about it? Um. The big negative, and I'll give a shout out to Kevin Ely of uh, the of Boom of of the Boom over on Fight Game Media, who is a fan of Shake Them Ropes and listens to us as well. Uh, as he reminded me uh, that I did not bring this up in my negativity from last night, Chris. That entire segment revolved around Chekhov's cake, and they missed the shot where he went through the cake. How I is know. that possible? In a professional wrestling, a highly trained media organization. They didn't even do a good job with the establishing shot when he was out through yes. the ropes and on the apron. Like, they got none of the key moment in that segment. Bill Watts is rolling in his grave, and he's still alive. So, <laughs> yeah, I, it's like everything revolved around. It was a Memphis type of thing where it's like, yes, at the end, the, the, the heel is going to end up in the cake. Everybody knows the heel is going to end up in the cake. There's not a person alive who didn't think MJF wasn't going through that cake. And yet, they still missed the shot. I I, I don't get it. I'm I, also I, a little confused why everyone didn't immediately target MJF. Like, they, all four of those, or all three of those guys came to the ring. Yeah, Sammy decided he was going to take it out on Jungle Boy? Right. Like, that came out of nowhere. Yeah. It's that like, was, dude, you that, went out there to talk crap to Max. And you <laughs> did. And like then he cut you off. And like, I mean, if anything, yeah, I just I thought that was a dumb thing. Like they I mean, it, in the same way that that Sammy promo, I guess, sort of missed the mark where he needed to do a redirect and remind everybody they was a heel. Yeah. Like all you Canadian dumbasses. Like, like it, that felt to me yes, like, it's like, Ooh, I got this sick burn on max, but now I need you to turn heel on me again. So you don't start cheering me. You yeah. Dumb Canadians. Yeah. Like it, it, it just some of it, like the concept is good. The concept of the four pillars finally squaring off in the ring and max. That I liked. Yeah. Matt, max having to see it, the road ahead eventually was going to involve encounters with all of these guys. I liked that. It's yes, in the line by line of the dialogue, uh, you, you really convinced me to take a second look at this. And I kind of like increasingly dislike the actual dialogue that they had. Well, let's then now turn to the other company. I will go on this one. And uh, and it looks like we now have a clear delineation of where the bloodline story is going. It is going where we always thought it was going to go. Uh, Jay Uso comes out, super kicks Sammy. And then comes out on, uh, it, uh, was it, yeah, it was Friday night, um, and gives his, this is why I did it speech. And I thought Jay Uso did a fantastic job on this speech because it wasn't necessarily the, uh, the material that was great about it. There was a certain weird desperation in Jay Uso as he's giving the explanation that this is my brother. This is my family. He was uncomfortable. Family. Yeah. He he, was uncomfortable. This is, this is, you know what this is? This is the, I'm in too deep and I can't be redeemed speech. Whereas Sammy is the, Sammy was riding with the bad guys and then felt bad. And now wants to be a good guy. And he's going to have to redeem himself by getting killed. So to speak, Jay's the guy who goes, I uh, Jay's the guy who had the chance to leave. And and is in too deep and can't now. And he knows it, I think. Um, yeah, I'm reading a little bit into it, but listen to his voice and how it cracks when he's saying, Oh this no, is the, my blood. I loved this. This opening line of like when his answer was him just saying to the audience, What would you do? It, it it's yeah, it, it's a little bit um he's not comfortable with the choice. It's just he felt like he had no choices. Have you ever seen the movie version of Jesus Christ Superstar? I have I know not. That's a, that's a random thing. Uh Car a guy by the name of Carl Anderson, not the wrestler, uh plays Judas. And this is the same kind of energy he gives in the performance is what would you do? Huh? <laughs> you know, I was 
I was told to do this kind of stuff. You know, that kind of, you know, it's it's that kind of thing. It's 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 this. I God, I would love to tear this all down myself, but I'm scared, and now I'm a part of it, and there's nothing I can do about. It. I, I I love this kind of frantic energy. I hope they keep this up with him, as opposed to, you know, like I hope there's a moment in this tag match that they're eventually going to build, where where Jay's just like. God, I'm sorry about this. <laughs> Sam, Sammy needs to keep messing with his head in the intervening weeks to WrestleMania here. Like yeah. Sammy needs to just keep twisting the knife in his brain over this stuff. He needs to be more. I think that Jay Uso throughout this entire program, like ever since Sammy Zayn's addition has just been really kind of a revelation in terms of character acting yeah from yeah. like from the hating sammy stuff to the defending sammy zane during the tribal court segment to the betrayal stuff to even this like it, you know he's always for wrestling uh grading on the curve of wrestling like nearly note perfect with what they need out of him in any given performance yeah i mean for wrestling it's really good for wrestling <laughs> yeah. for wrestling yeah, I mean, and it's funny because it's like I don't, I don't need any of this high art Shakespeare in my wrestling type of stuff. It's like, dude, but you need you need the story, you need the angle, you need the heat. It can't just be your. I know a lot of people love that. That you're not. Everyone lies to themselves in thinking that like they want to see the Usos versus Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens in a vacuum. Yes. You want to see the Usos versus Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens in the context of this storyline. After a build, yes. And and I just, I don't understand people who say they don't need the build. We don't need, I don't need the promos. I just need the match. I just need the uh, the high spots and all that other stuff. I, I don't get it personally. I, I just think that that really misunderstands what this type of television show, this type of product yeah. is centered around it's big matches in the context of stories that are compelling uh, uh, otherwise you don't have that just while we're on the topic what did you think of cody he works i mean i think he makes he makes for an interesting future babyface champion but i can't I, i'd be lying if i said that like cody Rhodes like did it for me i think okay. he's okay that's I think he's fair okay. i i yeah. think he's killing it um, I, I mean, is he the best baby face I've ever seen? No, but for the job he's doing for WrestleMania for the build, uh, uh that's, that's what you need. That's the guy. That's the guy. I, I believe he's going to beat Roman. I believe he's going to beat Roman <laughs> too. Yeah, no. Um, In terms I, of how he's, how he's presenting himself. I believe it. I believe him. And I believe that is his goal. Um, I, I, I just, I mean, I don't know that I'm still in love with the choice of inserting Cody Rhodes into the storyline this late. He does his story. His story feels like the weakest part of the storyline. It is. And it's weird that he's going to be the guy to bridge the gap. Yep. That's what's a little like, like it's not necessarily KO and Sammy reconciling. It's almost a cynical, Hey, I need you two to take care of the Usos so I can go take care of Roman type thing. Right. Right, like you guys have to work it out so that you can run interference for me. Yes, yes, it, it's it's very self-serving. Yeah, no. It, it, <laughs> Although it goes against stupid babyface rules, he's actually a smart babyface trying to get some backup so that he doesn't have to deal with all the other players. Yeah, I, I mean, like I think I'm still in a. I'm still very much wait and see with Cody. I I haven't like checked out on his program or anything like that in the slightest, but like. He hasn't talked me all the way into the room yet either. You're up next. Um. Okay. Uh. Man. <laughs> Santos Escobar and Legado del Fantasma have been just stuck in this death roll, defending yeah. Rey Mysterio. This this is horrible. Santos, in theory, as a baby face, awesome. Mm-hmm. This is such a stupid way to execute a babyface turn for Santos Escobar, where him and his friends are basically just like goobers now, like Ray's goobers. And like Ray, for his part, I think we're just very past the I will never hit my son sort of thing. Like it's it's gotten tired and it makes him look 
particularly bad when he won't do it when other people are stepping up to defend him and he won't even like lift a finger for that. I think they're, <laughs> I mean, I, and this is my personal taste, but if they are setting up what everybody's talking about, which is an angle at the hall of fame ceremony where Dominic beats up Conan to then get Ray so angry that he will hit Dominic. This is bad for a number of reasons. Number one, I don't think the Hall of Fame should be the place where you do an angle. I just don't. I, I do. Look, does the Hall of Fame mean a whole lot? No. But is there a certain reverence there uh, to me? I think there should be. Oh, by the way, Muda going in this year. That'll be interesting since he never stepped foot in a WWF ring. Um, That said, I would also cheer him beating up Conan because I can't stand Conan. He's not going to get sympathy from me for beating up Conan, who is one of the most obnoxious wrestling personalities on Twitter and in podcasting. I'm just, it's, that'll turn him baby face for me. Yeah. It, now, if I, he attacked his mom, then I could see Ray getting mad. Cause look, if you've, if you've ever had a, if you've ever even sassed to your mother in front of your father, you know, dad stepping in there real quick. So I think mom would be the the emotional fulcrum here, not Conan of all people. Uh, then we also uh, got the announcement that Ric Flair is going to be back on WWE television this week. Oh, on the bump? Well, that's to announce Muda, I think. Oh, is that is that to announce Muda? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I thought we were maybe trying to find or, a way to. I think he did announce Muda. I'm not sure, but yeah. Oh God, if he gets involved in this Charlotte story. God help us. Right. I think, I think it, I mean, him getting slid onto the bump is the start of him getting back into onto yeah, WWE television. Hey, and, and, and Triple H likes Rick. Vince likes Rick. Come on. It's Ric Flair. Bring him in. Yep. Um, I'm going to go silly real quick. Cause this is just a short one. And I sent you this clip. Chick Donovan. Chick Donovan is 75 years old, still on Swole Patrol. Oh my God. Uh, weirdly mobile? Like, like, weirdly so mobile and won a cage match without entering a cage. <laughs> like, that is better living through chemistry right there. That oh man, uh, dude. Like, that is a. It's an unnatural body for, for those of you who don't know who Chick Donovan was. Chick Donovan, he kind of moved between upper uh, enhancement talent slash mid-card where he'd get a like a slight push in some territories, but he's been around since, I think, the early 80s, late 70s. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I want to say, like, 79, 78, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. late 70s, I want to say. Yeah. But, I mean, he was in Georgia. He was in uh, Memphis. He was in, uh, I think he was in Crockett for a spell. Uh, you know, kind of always a, a body guy, always a body guy, bleach blonde, uh, you know, out of a bottle, uh, you know, kind of had a spike mullet. I would, I would call it. Yeah. Like the kind of like Ricky the, Morton, a little bit of the flare mullet too. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 yeah like, a little bit of that, but yeah. And he's still, still making towns and still winning belts at age 75. Uh, seek it out on Twitter. It it is it is amazing to see him. It, at, it, at it's that age. weird. It's captivating seeing this man look. He, he looks like a football. He looks like a wrinkled football, but he still. The definition on his physique is freaky, scary. It, yeah, he, that is that is just legitimately scary. yeah unnerving. Yeah. Uh, your turn, sir. Uh, no, that was a good one. That was a good one. Um. Man, Brock and Omos is like maybe the worst program Brock has done yet. Yeah, and I don't think he cares. No, I don't think he cares either. But this match is <laughs> this is going to be real bad. Uh, no, I mean, I think Omos is going to win the match. Brock's wearing the same thing every week. He really doesn't care. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's George Costanza in sweatpants at this point, except it's a Canadian tuxedo that he's yeah, wearing. Comes out there like a Metallica reject every week uh, and does his little like semi goofy promo thing. And that's that's F you pay that's me. Brock Lesnar. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, let me let me wax poetic on the greatness of Jeff Jarrett. 
from this week's Dynamite. That match, he was doing a whole lot of nothing, but it was all working for a while there. He would he would do a Fargo strut. He'd do a move. He'd wait a bit. He'd wait a little bit longer. He'd do another Fargo strut. He did another move. He waited. He teased a Fargo strut. He waved it off. He did his Shawn Michaels relaxing on the top turnbuckle move. And then, Chris, just just the, the most magical part. He puts his hands in the air like Orange Cassidy. He sticks his hands in his trunks. And he starts doing the light kicks on, on Orange Cassidy and shouting the O's at the same time. I I loved this match for Jeff Jarrett. I loved that he 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 begged off the figure four to do a sharpshooter in Canada just to troll Canadians. I I loved the Jay Lethal hope spot. This with is the, the most entertaining he's ever been, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, like like this, no, because I, nobody's I taking him sure. seriously. Nobody is taking no, him seriously. I, I know. I, no, 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 I know. It, it, like, he shouldn't be presented at any other level than he's being presented at right now. But, like, god damn, he's so fun. Yes, and he's not doing much other than being a heel. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah. Uh, I want him on this Forbidden Door pay-per-view, Chris. And I want him against Tanahashi. And I think that match would kick ass. <laughs> oh, no, that would be, be, that's actually the perfect Tanahashi match, right? Because, like, Tana does not come over here and give us, like, 80% effort. He doesn't give us, he doesn't give us Tokyo Dome. No, uh, no, no. No, we, we get, like, 65% effort Tanahashi. Yeah. yeah. And especially at this age with his wear and tear, Jeff Jarrett's the perfect 65% effort Tanahashi match. I, I want I want Tanahashi playing air guitar. I want Jarrett playing real guitar. <laughs> Yeah, oh boy, oh that'd be, oh, be so great. And Tanahashi, Tanahashi hits Jarrett with a real guitar. Yes, and uh, you know I want Satnam involved. I want, uh, I want the whole deal. I want the whole package. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, this is that's a great match. Uh, Satnam doing the Fargo one. strut never fails to amuse me. By the way, that dude is huge. He's like seven six, and he's strutting, and I laugh every time. I don't care that you people don't like Jeff Jarrett. You 20 and 30-somethings, Chris notwithstanding, you're wrong. Jeff Jarrett's awesome. Stop being a hater. You're up, Chris. Uh, good is good. You got to recognize uh, when when you see it. Um, Stupid millennials. Uh, yeah, no work ethic. Um, God. Uh, let's... Man, what do I even say about this Soraya, Tony Storm, and Ruby Soho segment? Like, you know what we do with dogs who piss on the lawn? What's the answer to that question, Chris? Because I think everybody knows the answer to that. You put them know. down. Yeah, you shoot them. Yeah, I guess yes. unless it's your dog. Um, if it's your no, dog, no, you, you beat them up and you have matches, and you just it's like, what? That makes no sense. That's that's a Biff Tannen line. Is what? Why would you make like a tree and go away? Well, <laughs> that segment sucked. This is so bad. <laughs> and, and, uh, See, the I, weird I, thing is the matches were good this week, but any of the character development was just terrible for the most part. Because I got another one that's coming up. But go on about this outcast thing. I it, it continue to go like what is the point of Soraya? Like I don't get her character. I don't. Baby girl. <laughs> yeah, like she. It's as she came back after all this time off and like no fresh ideas whatsoever. No, none. It's all you know what it's almost, and I don't want to accuse her of this because look, I think she wants to wrestle, and I think, but she never. When she was on the main roster, she stopped working. She knew what worked for her, and she just did it all the time. And this was a chance as a, at a check because WWE wouldn't let her perform. And it's like, okay, I get to perform, but I haven't changed my game for this for this company. I'm the person that everybody knows from WWE. 
And I don't think that that cuts it in AEW. No, it doesn't. And and it shouldn't. And like, especially for someone who's like, you know, I, I wanted to get back into the ring again. Surely, you know, like if, if you had like, like if I lost the ability to play guitar or whatever, right. And like, you know, for like three or four years, I couldn't do it for injuries or whatever. Right. And I got back to playing guitar. I would have at some point during that intervening time thought about what I would play on guitar if I could play guitar again. Yeah. And, and it doesn't feel when I watch her that she spent any time thinking about like what the page slash Soraya character would be. What am I going to do once I get the chance? And, and you don't, I mean, okay. Ring rust. Let's assume that that'll shake off some point. Maybe, um, that is like it's no new vision for her match style no and no vision at all for her promo no and, yeah i just like it's shockingly lazy it's right it the, the i bring it up notable just because it's notable to me how underwhelming she is as a talent right because now. if you compare that to somebody else say an edge or a daniel bryan brian danielson they had a chip on their shoulder to get back in the ring and once they did it's like i want i mean look Edge is the law of diminishing returns in many, many ways for me. I, I am not, I mean, that, that match against Orton during the pandemic period was, was dull to me. Yeah. And I find this version of Edge a little bit dull. Danielson, but they, but they at least had the, had the chips on their shoulder that they wanted to prove something to themselves that they could still go. I don't think that's true for her. And I hate to impugn her with that kind of reputation, but Prove me wrong, I, I think, because, yeah, I, this has just been lazy. And and at least the pivot has kind of gone to Ruby now as, as the leader of that stable. I think it's, that's a smart move. That is a smart move. And it, it's strange to say that it really does feel like Edge and Danielson have a lot more in the tank left than Soraya. I, I mean, I know yeah. her career is going to go a lot longer, but, like, boy, I feel like we're near the bottom of the tank here with, like, what she has to offer in terms of, like, Fresh stuff. I have nothing good to say about NXT this week. That was a lousy show. And oh God, yeah. furthermore, I mean, <laughs> the only thing on, on even my rundown is why is Candace a Mary Sue when she's been in war games? Straight up. Why is Thanks. Candace LeRae ducking from anybody? <laughs> Especially during a home invasion where she has to protect her child. I mean, that, that was just dumb. I mean, I, I don't have any other notes for NXT other than this show sucked. Um, yeah, no, Um, I hated Gallus beating pretty deadly. I don't know I, what's going on there. I it, like, I just, I thought that was really stupid. Um, look, I don't, I'm not really sure that that match needed to happen, but pretty deadly really only works if they have the belts like they should have the belts and if they yes. screwed gallus out of the belts like th this is the classic heel team who are the champions but drop the belts often but always find bullshit ways of getting the belts yes back. They, they are tricksters so, and they are dandies simultaneously yes, right right and like so they're they're very beatable. They're they're bit of paper champions, but they they have to have the belt in order for this thing to make sense. Um, and weirdly, they while they can eat a lot of losses when they have the belt, like losing the belt doesn't hurt pretty deadly. Um, they cannot eat a lot of losses when they don't have the belts. Yeah, they need. They're a team that needs to weirdly be protected when they're not champions, and then when they're champions, you can beat them whenever you want. Chris, we had an all-time bad segment on AEW this week. The worst is still possibly Nyla and the hamburgers. Don't get me wrong. Uh the stuff with Brandy and uh, the former Karma was bad don't get me wrong and i like qt marshall overall but this qtv segment where he's playing um uh tmz why is hobbs involved in this at all why is he anywhere near this dumb thing 
because you're repackaging Hobbs as a as your secondary champion. You're this is supposed to be giving him a serious him, finish. You're gonna put him with QT Marshall. You're gonna put him with QT Marshall. And you're gonna put him with wackity schmackity uh gorilla news video. Oh, look, we broke into a car. And so he's gonna have solo as a red shirt, which is fine because everybody should enjoy watching Aaron Solo get beat up. Um, but dude, this is this is as bad as putting him with like Stoke. And it's all and these and these factions are all like this. There's the guy that's supposed to be serious, but it's all undercut by the comedy around him. Ethan Page was supposed to be serious. The firm was supposed to be serious. And and instead we get like Hardy and Private Party and Stokely around him. But now we have Hobbs and we have R- RJ City in the background, who is a comedy guy. Um and and uh and QT Marshall, who is also doing doing bad jokes and whatnot, and now on Twitter arguing with guys who say that the segments sucked. Um, you know, Vicky was a comedy manager uh the lawyer with jade again now it looks like comedy manager how how is anybody gonna take hob seriously every heel faction ultimately trends towards comedy yes it seems in this company and like okay not the house of black i'm I'm sure someone's screaming that at at their are they heels because they're right. about to go into a feud with JAS. Right. So that's an interesting, fun question, too, right? So, like, uh, especially all the lower teal, tier heel stables. <laughs> they're the goth theater kids. That's who they are. <laughs> all, all, the, all the lower tier, tier heel stables. I mean, I know we love Jarrett, Lethal, and Sutton Singh, but Sanjay Dutt, same thing. Same thing. They have like com- it's Yes. All- Yes, but the, the, their thing is though they have a little bit of menace behind them with the guitar shots and stuff. Right? No, no, no. I I think they. But do I think it you're better. right overall. You're right overall. Yeah, the formula the formula is the same like across yes. the board with all these teams, and, and it's a bad formula. Like it, it's not a, it's a bad formula in the sense that like these heels don't even feel like they don't feel threatening. No, they feel as though they are minor obstacles. Yes. And it's like I if they want a title, it's like, well, they're not going to do it for long because they're they're dopes. They're B-villains. They're all B-villains. Yeah, like you wouldn't, if the firm somehow won a title, like a tag belt, you wouldn't expect them to hang on to it because they're like presented like they're too stupid to be capable. And, and because I mentioned her, let's bring this back for a second. Uh, Nicole Matthews is far, far more of a wrestler than Taya Valkyrie. <laughs> And Nicole Matthews got beaten in 13 seconds after finally getting her visa issues cleared up uh, in the past week or so. She has been, I don't know if you're familiar with her work, Chris, but she has been the stalwart kind of upper mid-card heel for women's wrestling from uh, Shimmer on from like 2007 to like the mid-aughts. She is fantastic. And to do her like that, just to get to Taya Valkyrie, who... Look, in the ring next to Jade, the size is is impressive. Don't get me wrong. As a wrestler, I'm she's not high on she's I'm not ne- high she's on never time. been anything. Yeah, no, she's never been anything as a and wrestler. And you watch her in Lucha Underground. So yeah, you know no, more than I've me. I've watched a lot of Taya Valkyrie. Okay. I, I I'm I've never been I've never been dazzled. She's, but yeah, I mean, but but Jade has the same problem now that it looks like Mark Sterling's back in her life. I just it's it's and Jade Cargill is is quickly turning into the storyline that's just trapped in amber, right? Yes. There's just no development whatsoever. It, it, in this it's thing. it's a treadmill because we can't decide yeah. how to get off of it. Right. We don't know how to turn it off. How do you not have how do you go this many months and not have an off ramp for this Jade Cargill storyline ready at this point? They haven't even heated up a baby like there's no I baby th- face hot enough to take her on. No, no, they haven't even tried. So I, I, I imagine that the day she loses the title, it'll be to some baby face. And Fluke. we're like, yep. Fluke. And we're like, huh, 
that's weird. And yeah, maybe they try to go, they do the jumpstart story where they're like, well, she's going to take advantage of this, you know, complete fluke win over Jade Cargill, who nobody saw this coming. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be a three-day build from Rampage to to Dynamite or or Dynamite to Battle of the Belts. It'll be Willow Nightingale, probably. Ooh, and it's like, oh, well, here's her shot. And then they give her the title and they make a big deal of it for about an hour. And then you realize that Willow hasn't been built up as a character because she was part of this, uh, for lack of a better term, band of geeks that came out during during the Outcast segment. It was sky blue, Rio with a pipe, which it's like, oh look, Rio has a pipe, isn't that adorable? And and Willow in a onesie, and you're just like, okay, great. These are the red shirts. It's like bringing Madison Rain out there. I I, I don't understand. I just want stories on this show jeff the matches are not bad yeah most yeah i just i just, I just want builds i want character development yeah, i want promos i want, I want, I want to know that people hate each other on this show that's it that's all i want oh and we're getting another oh that's what i missed in the news we're getting another hour-long show on a turner property perhaps 605 on the superstation for aew wrestling no and it's and it's no. gonna be more wrestling than anything. And it's like, okay, uh, yeah, I, I'm a little frustrated. That would be that would okay. Here's the thing with this: if you're gonna have yet another one hour wrestling show, then Rampage and this other one hour wrestling show need to be the shows where the wrestling largely occurs, and Dynamite needs to be landscape. It needs to be mostly about setting up the universe with a few, as in three, key matches every week. An yes. opener that's, that is a no-context opener, three storyline advancing matches, and a lot of talking, and a lot of stage setting, and a lot of narrative building. Like, that's what needs to happen there. And then you can do your ancillary satellite matches, these nine-man tags that they're obsessed with and that sort of thing do those on your wrestling programs and that can now they've been properly built by dynamite i mean this is also a stronger deployment of dynamite you want dynamite to incentivize people to check out the 605 show or rampage how are you going to do that well you're going to set up matches on dynamite and then people might want to tune in and catch the ending of that match or whatever yeah. that's been set up for on Dynamite. But Dyn- if you're going to add another one-hour property, and I question the wisdom of it, I really think that in order for that property to succeed and do well and not flounder, like Rampage, let's be real, has. Or, or the two darks, even. Or the two darks. Oh, yeah, they're still on the air. Uh, those Those shows... They need help, and Dynamite needs to be the the sun that radiates onto the other planet. It, it can't just be matches, and and that's my that's my big problem with the two darks is it's just here's this match, 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 and that's it. They need C storylines too. I, I mean, I, th- I they'll, think they'll, like... they'll do them occasionally, like you'll but but they drop them like the whole. The last really good storyline they had on one of the darks was when Brian Pillman Jr. lost. I think it was to Christopher Daniels. I can't remember who it was. And he came backstage, and there's Brock and Arn Anderson, and they form an alliance. And nobody's heard anything from them since. And that was two months ago. So don't give me this long-term storytelling crap. I, I just, I, it, 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 they're drop storylines that people all of a sudden remember to pick back up. That, yeah, I'm, I'm, dropped or or they get frozen. Yeah, and frozen storytelling is bad storytelling. I agree. I agree because you got to yeah, tell the story. Um, right. Yeah. I don't. I don't have anything. On chapter that. seventeen for no. I I don't have a lot else either. I, like, I mean, we're taping before SmackDown this week, uh, so we don't have that to talk about here. Um, once again, like, what is the characterization on the elite? Like what are they as characters? Even um, the House of Black. I believe you know, like ju- I believe they've just kind of shuffled everything. I think they've they've now in that match within it. I think they've now turned the House of Black babyface because yeah. they're gonna go up against the JAS. Unless they've turned the JAS babyface, I don't think that happened. I don't think that happened. 
And and look, I I thought the final shot was clever. The the whole thing, I because actually that's something I need to bring up. This is the this is the week that uh, the Blackpool Combat Club were officially heels. Yes, and yeah, they yeah. did it through they did it through uh dirtbag Wheeler Yuta, which was amazing. Wheeler Yuta was amazing in that match against the Dark Order. Uh and I love Stu Stu being back too. I, I he's great. I, I was happy that they did a show in Canada and they 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 brought back the uh, the Super Smash Bros. They're great. But Wheeler Yuta using a ring bell, Wheeler Yuta pulling guys off the apron, just being an absolute dirtbag. This is the first that the Blackpool Combat Club has been Cobra Kai from the original Karate Kid ever because Moxley was all in too instead of being a lone wolf. I, I dug this and the staging where they come out at the end and they're facing Hangman and the elites backing up Hangman and Hangman doesn't know. It was clever. But we're going to have two more months of this. Yep. And we're going to get... We're gonna get longing looks from the Jackson brothers, <laughs> and people are gonna tell me it's just as good as the Usos. And I don't. Right. Think it is. No, 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 and it won't be. And here's why: like those three guys will operate as one character. The elite, Kenny, Matt, and Nick, will all functionally be the same interchangeable one individual in triplicate. Yeah, and, and that's why it won't be super compelling. And They'll all make it up. And, <laughs> and hamming. And oh, by the way, can I mention that? Like, yes, they are. Uh, again, we always calibrate acting for wrestling, but even within the confines of wrestling, the Jacksons and Omega are nothing if not hams. Yes, they don't so, know how to do subtle. Yeah, <laughs> I, and, and they also, in my opinion, don't really know how to do unironic. Like that, everything. That's the problem. That yeah. it's going to be an ironic thing, and you're just like, Ugh, okay. Great. Like the the ironic tear soaked reunion, it just yeah. has very little intrigue to me. There's like going to be a close up of one of the Jacksons' face with a tear running down his cheek, and people are going to want that in the Criterion Collection. No, here's the thing, and they're going to feel this need to reference a movie or something, like yeah. just like yeah, yeah, like they're going to need to like do the reunion scene, like. I don't know something from Saving Private Ryan or some crap, or or they're gonna do the uh like the uh <laughs> was it the Aquarius Let the Sunshine In dance number from was it Forty Year Old Virgin <laughs> where they're in the in the field dancing and stuff. Yeah, it, there's gonna be something, and you're just gonna go oh god, and everybody's gonna go oh that was brilliant. Oh, it was so funny. Just like uh, remember when MJF and Chris Jericho did the singing musical number, and that really established MJF as a great heel. Yeah. Uh, let's cut it off there. You can follow me at Crap Game 13 on Twitter. You can follow the show at Shake Them Ropes. I am also, as I said, on the Dynamite Show on Fight Game Media, patreon.com slash fight game media, five bucks a month. Lots of shows mostly uh, concentrating on stateside wrestling, but we are part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Ah, uh, gosh, this. The number of podcasts that are on this network now, and you get to hear promos from them at the beginning and is is boundless and endless. And whatever your wrestling love is, there is a, a show for you. Chris, as he says, is playing guitar now. He does lessons. He has an Instagram, but not a Twitter. He used to have a political podcast. He's going to tell you about all of that right now. Yeah, I think the political is on a hiatus. I mean, like I, I, I've been kicking around bringing it back. It's just it's time constraints. If if me doing a show is something that's interested to you, um, on, on politics or whatever, and you want me to do it again, and you want to help out, hit me up. I, I basically know that I can't do it on my own the way I had been doing it. So, um, if I had help, I would certainly like to get some episodes out again at some point. But you know what, we not, don't have enough podcasts about Chris weed. Weed. <laughs> I, I don't. You know, it's like I don't know. You know how stuff much, about that. I do know stuff about that. I, yes. you know, I work for Dynamic Jack now as yes. a uh, uh, personal, or I, I'm confused. I'm a salesman. I'm a sales representative, but like we have some internal term for it that uh, is is lengthy. Uh, and I also will be playing at the Electric Cafe here. First show is on March 31st out here in Albuquerque. Uh, if you are in town, want to come see me do my thing at the first legal cannabis consumption lounge in the city, Jeffrey. <laughs> that is right, Jeff. 
it is a place where you could come and see Chris Novembrino play music and also smoke weed. Some say that if you smoke enough weed, my voice is less pitchy and thus more tolerable. It's like the two drink minimum at a comedy club. Yeah, yeah, no. Only, <laughs> this this makes the solos. This makes you really open minded to the five minute guitar solo, and uh, means I'll sing less, uh, which is everyone's winning. And uh, yeah, come out, smoke some weed. Um, they uh, it will be on Fried Chicken Friday. So if uh, if that in- intrigues you, did I mention that the fried chicken's also infused with weed? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's this is is an infused kitchen too. You're gonna have four hundred pound people. <laughs> no, they'll they'll be asleep before they ever get that heavy. D o c t o r underscore n o v on the Instagram for Chris. Uh, yes. For shake, yes, for shake them ropes. Uh, I am Jeff Hawkins. He is Chris Novembrino. We will talk to you next week. Smoke up. Music, it's not just part of our daily lives, it's part of our wrestling fandom as well, and it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in, Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.